Hello, I am Richard Hong, and I'm here to read the Bible verse of today. The Bible passage is Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, we continue through this letter, this New Testament letter, uh, to the churches in Galatia. And as I look out today and I see your faces and I can imagine those who are also online joining us, there's, a, there's like a, at least a representation of different phases of life that we are in. I mean, some of you are more toward the, uh, I'd say, the beginning of life as we see it, and some of us are in the middle, and some of us, uh, like myself, getting closer to the end of our races. <laughs> um, but uh, we've kind of got this spread here that's, uh, that's present. And, we, and the, the point that we all have in common is we all desire to live our lives with meaning and significance. That's, that's what we hope, whatever plans we have in our, in our imaginations. And for, you know, if you remember, if, for those of us who are older, but those of you who might be in high school tuning in or here, that, that, that means that we're probably at the point of some choosing, like, what are we going to study in college? And we know that the major we choose in college has a good uh, influence for the rest of our lives, potentially. So it's so important. It's a big decision, and it weighs on us. 
And then those of us who maybe have worked for a few years, uh, sometimes we get that, you know, wondering, did I choose the right profession? Am I in the right thing? I don't know. And then those of us who have worked for like 25 years or more, uh, we may, you know, have this midlife crisis, as people say, where you look back over your life up to this point and you say, like, have I lived my life with significance and meaning up to this point or a lack of it? And that might cause a crisis for us. Um, because none of us want to waste our time in life on something that's meaningless, ultimately. And the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter to the church, the churches in Galatia, saw his life, as he says here, as a race. And he definitely did not want to be running his race in vain. In a sense, meaningless race in the way he was running. You know, it reminds me, as I think about running a race in vain, of a time when I was in sixth grade, and I ran a race in total vain. And uh, it was, I was in elementary school, Harrington Elementary School in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. And uh, right next to the elementary school was the high school. And the high school, uh, my brother Mike was there, a senior in high school, and he was the MVP of the track team. MVP meaning most valuable player. And he ran what at least at that point in history, was the 50-yard dash. It's shorter than the 100 meters. Uh, and, and my brother was fast. He was really fast, you know, MVP. So I, being six years younger, being in sixth grade, I wanted to be like Mike. And so, uh, and I bring this up because our elementary schools in Chelmsford had a sixth grade track meet where all the elementary schools would bring their teams and they would compete against each other at the high school track. And so I wanted to be on that. So I made it on the team. My race was the 440-yard dash, which is just once around the track. And, uh, and I remember the race. Uh, the gun went off, and we took off together. Uh, I had a friend, Andy, that was running with me. And around the first turn of the track, you know, there's only two turns, right, on the track going around once, uh, he got a cramp. And so he started to slow down. And being a good buddy, I stuck with my friends. And meanwhile, the, the pack was going ahead of us, and they were getting further and further ahead of us, but I was staying with my buddy. And then as we went around the second turn, the last turn before the finish line, I told him, okay, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to leave you behind. And he's like, yeah, 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 do that. So I just took off running as fast as I could, sprinting, and I caught up to the pack, and I was passing people left and right, and... Uh, trying to get to the front of the pack before the finish line, and I failed. I came in fourth place. And, you know, only first, second, and third place get ribbons. But I came in fourth place. And so I look, I remember thinking, like, man, if I didn't hang back with my buddy Andy, and I ran this race differently, I might have won. Or maybe at least came in second and third and got something for it. But I ran that race in vain. And... <laughs> I will never know if I would ever have gotten better position to this day because I ran that race in vain. And life is like a race. And we don't want to run it in vain, as we see in, with the Apostle Paul. Are you running in vain if you think about your life today? Would you say you're running your life in vain? And how can we make sure that we do not run life in vain? Well, the Apostle Paul had the same concern, and he stated it in the second verse of our text. He said, I went in response to a revelation 
And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And so from our text today, we can learn from the Apostle Paul how not to run our life in vain, as we can see some things in this text and from Galatians up to this point. Now, I'm going to use this acronym, which makes sense in the context of race, four letters, that spells these principles that we can follow and learn from the Apostle Paul to make sure we, as followers of Jesus, do not, we're not running our lives in vain. And so the first principle that we can learn from the Apostle Paul, and we see this in the early parts of Galatians, is to respond to God's call on our life. Have you responded to God's call on your life or for your life? According to the Bible, God calls us to many things. But the first and most essential call is to follow his son Christ Jesus as Lord, to believe in him as Lord of all. And Paul responded to this call we learned in the previous uh, messages on the road to Damascus. He was literally knocked off his horse and he was confronted by the Lord Jesus that, why are you persecuting me? And so he, he responded to, in faith to follow the Lord Christ. And going to be a part of a church community or like we are today or doing good things or reading our Bibles regularly, all these things that we do are not good enough if we have not responded in faith to the Lord Christ as Lord. And, and we cannot put this off. We need, first and foremost, to respond, you know, this, the R of race. And if, if you're listening today or you, you're here and you have any questions about uh, the faith of Christianity or following Christ Jesus as Lord and what that means, then talk to me about it. Ask the other people here about it or people you know that follow Christ because we do not want to put this off because this is the first step, the most important step to not running our lives in vain. Now, Paul responded to call God's call to believe. And then he responded to what God specifically called him to do, and that is to preach this message that was revealed to him to the Gentiles, Paul being a Jew himself and a leader in the Jewish faith. What does God have for you specifically to do if you are a follower of Christ? Do you know what he's calling you specifically to do right now? You're to follow him, but follow him how specifically? You know, you might be thinking, sure, it was easy for the Apostle Paul because he literally got confronted by Jesus, knocked off his horse, and God spoke to him. But, you know, God hasn't done that for me, so I don't, I don't really know what I'm specifically called to do. Well, look at Paul's life following this, his conversion. And we see this in the beginning, right, where he mentions 14 years, right? Paul did not start going on what we know from later, uh, from Acts and stuff, on his missionary journeys for about 17 years until 17 years following this conversion of coming to be in faith in Christ. What was he doing all that time? Well, what God called him to do. He knew right away that he was to preach this gospel to the Gentiles, and that's what he did, wherever he was, whether he was in Damascus, as we saw in, in this, and, or uh, later in Jerusalem, or Syria, or Cilicia, or Tarsus later where he went, uh, and then, then later in Antioch, we learn in Acts, he was just preaching both to the Jews and definitely to the Gentiles. He just did it wherever he was. He didn't wait 
for another special revelation. But it was more than 17 years before God directed him to go on these missionary journeys for which we know the most about Paul and his writings. Uh, We know Paul mostly from these journeys, but before that, he was also responding to God's call to preach to the Gentiles right wherever he was, exactly in his home area. And I I remember I responded to God's call specifically for my life uh, in 1984 at Urbana Missions Conference. And I was an engineer at the time, and I committed my life direction, and I thought, okay, so you're calling me to give my everything to you, and that's, I'm an electrical engineering student, so I'm going to do that. And, and during the conference, I figured out that that probably meant going with a mission to serve our, like uh, radio missions. So I was thinking Far East Broadcasting or other mission in, where I could be an engineer for the mission and working on keeping their equipment up and things like that. And, but it wasn't until six years after that, 1984, until 1990, that I was in my master's program for microwave engineering, and then God called me to specifically go to seminary to get more training in the scriptures rather than more in engineering. So I thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to be a missionary engineer. I will go to seminary, get more Bible knowledge, so that will help, you know. And then it wasn't until two years after that that I realized that God was actually calling me to be a pastor rather than a missionary engineer. So that's like six years and then two years, you know, why does it take so much time for us to figure out what God is specifically calling us to do step by step? Well, Jesus, when I thought of this, Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of God that kind of sheds light on this. It's in Matthew 25, and it's a parable of the talents, if you remember that. We're not gonna, I'm not going to talk about the parable, but at the end of the story, the master says to the faithful servants, he says this, You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And from this, I why does it take so much time for us to figure out God's maybe specific calling for us for our life? And and oftentimes it's because we need to be first and foremost responding to God's call for our life in the little things of life, in the everyday stuff of life. And as God sees that we are faithfully following his call, and that right where we are, the here and now, then he will begin to make clear what specifically he has for us to do, and entrusting us with more and more for his kingdom work. So the question first for us to ask is, have you responded to God's call for your life? And if so, do you even know what God is calling you specifically to do at this moment? So the first thing is respond to God's call for our life. We see here, learning from Paul's example, the second thing Paul did, and we can do as well, is act on the truth. And we already mentioned this, Paul acted immediately on what he was, what was revealed to him. As I was thinking about this, uh, May and I used to live in Southern California for over three years, and there's this, I don't know if you guys have heard, but Southern Californians kind of have this pride that they live in a part of the country where in the morning, they say, they can go skiing in the mountains, and in the afternoon, they can go water skiing in the ocean. And it's like, you know, like, wow, I want to live there. But out of the three years plus we lived there, we never met one person who ever did that because it's just not really reasonable or practical if you think about it because you're going to have to drive a few hours and all that stuff. But in the same way, do we as Christians you know, spout that, yeah, God is in control of everything, he's Lord of my life, and yet 
then in practicality, we just kind of live our lives doing the things we want to do. <laughs> you know, we don't really, in a sense, act on the truth that we believe in and know. We're not acting on it. We're just spouting it, but we're not acting on it. And so once Paul believed in Jesus, he began acting on the truth immediately. I mean, he was passionate passionately against Christ and his followers, and then it just switched. He became passionately for Christ and his followers. He was the same guy, just in a totally different direction. And we see this change in him, and this, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it describes this change. And at once, it says he, meaning Paul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And you might think, like, why was he preaching in the synagogues? He's supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles. Well, he was doing that too, but he started with what he knew, and he was a Jewish leader, so naturally he was going to go to the synagogues, as we see him do even on his missionary journeys. He always went to the synagogues first, and then branched out from there. But Paul did this faithfully wherever he was. It's like James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Listen to what it says here. Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I always had a hard time about this, but it just makes sense now because if you and I, like we do, most of us, look in the mirrors in the morning, see if we're ready, presentable, right? Uh, and then immediately after we leave the mirror, we forget what we look like. That's just foolish. We, that doesn't happen. We remember what we look like. But if we forget, then we're foolish. That's exactly the point here. If we listen to the word of God and we believe and trust in the word of God, and yet we don't live the word of God, we forget what it says, then we're fools. We're foolish in the way we live. And as a follower of Jesus, how are we putting the truth into action? How are you putting the truth that you claim to believe into action? How does it affect your everyday stuff of life? Are we sharing our faith? Are we making disciples? Are, is this an intent of our heart? Or are we just kind of bearing the label but not really having the heart to do anything on the truth we believe in? So the first thing is to respond to God's call on our life, and the second is to act on the truth that we believe in. And the third thing Paul did, as we, and we can do as well from his example, is to continue to learn. We see this in Paul's life. And someone once said, maturity is pressing toward the mark. Immaturity is complacency and self-satisfaction. You know, studying the Word of God, the Bible, is not easy. I mean, it's my life profession, in a sense. It's not easy. I, I give you that. It's hard. It takes effort to understand the Scriptures, and it takes even more effort to try to see what the principles there and then how then they apply to our lives today in modern society. It's not impossible, but it is. It takes effort. And we like to think that when we approach the scriptures of the word of God, that if we read it or we study it, then we're supposed to get this spiritual, like, adrenaline rush. Because, you know, it's the word of God. It's just, wow. But it's reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures is more like taking vitamins. Right? When we take vitamins, we don't get this rush of energy from taking vitamins. No, we take vitamins because we think and we know that if our bodies get the things and the resources it needs to be healthy, it makes it stronger to fight diseases that are in the society that we're exposed to. 
And so vitamins, over a period of time and regular habit of taking them, can help make our bodies stronger. And this same way of bringing in the Word of God to our hearts and minds regularly, it's like taking vitamins. Paul continued to grow in Christ and preach the gospel. And while he did this, he met these people that opposed his message to the Gentiles. But it didn't stop him because his message uh, created, it didn't stop him because his message created this controversy among these other, quote, believers that were giving him this trouble. Um, and this is what he described in verses 3 through 5 of our text. He said, Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be pers- uh, preserved for you. See, this letter to the Galatian churches was in response to the accusations that these believers were bringing up about what, what Paul was preaching to the Gentiles of the freedom they can now have in Christ Jesus through faith. And this opposition didn't make Paul stray. It just made him grow deeper in the Lord and in the gospel message. And he remained faithful to the message God had called him to preach. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that says, Be not afraid of growing slowly. Be afraid only of standing still. Not moving at all. You may be thinking, well, how can I tell if I'm growing spiritually? How do I measure that? Well, uh, Oswald Chambers gave a great suggestion. He said, measure your growth in grace by your sensitiveness to sin how sensitive we are to the sinful thinking and habits of our hearts will tell us how and if we are growing in our Lord Christ. So how are we growing or training ourselves or learning to run this race of life that Christ has called us to do? Well, there's plenty of ways. Uh, Through regular personal Bible study, we could do that, like taking vitamins, through joining a class like 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings before worship here uh, over in the Matilda Center. If we're a youth, then join SWAT fellowship. They have studies of the scriptures. They have fellowship together. Do that. If we're college or older, then join a life group. You know, my eyes were open to the larger kingdom of God on this earth in the church than what's been happening when I went to that Urbana Missions Conference in 1984. And, and likewise, conferences can really, any kind of conferences can, uh, like that can stimulate our spiritual growth. And, and, and get us to look and, and know things beyond our little, little area of our lives. Uh, we can read books. There are many, many, many podcasts available that are really available to listen to and online courses to learn from. I mean, the opportunities are everywhere to learn and learn and grow in Christ and knowledge and, and then act on what we learn. The question is, are we continuing to learn if we're about the truth that we hold dear in our hearts? When are we, when we are learning more of Christ and acting on the truth that we learned, we are growing in Christ, period. That's the truth. You know, there's an internet myth that fish will only grow up to the size of the tank that they're in. They'll just stop. That's a myth. It's not true. What actually stunts the growth of fish 
that are in tanks or sharks or whatever it is, is the lack of uh, exercise, of food, and the environment, in a sense, the, they're not getting enough resources. So naturally, that's going to stunt their growth. Because animals and creatures like fish and amphibians and lizards and like even coral in the ocean, that's, they are all the, uh, labeled as the, uh, indeterminate growers. Indeterminate growers. I mean, um, it means like they will continue to grow forever, as long as they're alive. They will grow and grow and grow and grow as long as they have enough resources and food and the environment makes it so that they can do that. And, uh, for example, the Rocky Mountain Bristol Cone Pine, whoops, sorry, this pine tree, it doesn't grow in size and height, but it grows wide. And it can live for thousands of years before, and it's common to find these, and other trees too, in the world are like this. They, they're in the determinate growers. They just keep growing bigger and bigger, right? The, the rings around the tree, you know, the years when you cut them down, you can see that. And humans, though, we're not in determinate growers physically, right? We grow to a certain size on, based on our genetic makeup, and we stop, and then we just grow old, right? <laughs> I guess we do keep growing, but we just grow old that way. But we don't grow in size. Well, I guess some of us do, you know, and, uh, at least wide, but we don't just indeterminately keep growing, but we are designed by God to be indeterminate growers intellectually. We can always keep learning, as long as our brains function, right? <laughs> and we can also continue to grow spiritually in intimacy with our Lord Christ. That's how God has designed us, to continue to grow and to learn. And if only we would just leave our little, in a sense, fish tank of our lives that we continue to keep ourselves in and, and expand our minds to what God is doing in the world and how he has made us and our potential for being involved in something like that in some way, either here where we are or out, then we will begin to realize our full potential and how God has given us. And this is why a short-term mission trip is a great opportunity to grow. I mean, everyone that follows Christ should at some point consider joining a short-term mission. Uh, in, in their life. It's, it's like an intensive discipleship opportunity. And if we're serious about growing in Christ, then consider applying at some point in the future when the pandemic <laughs> makes it possible for us to travel across seas or, or uh, other places more safely. Um, but yeah, our, our church is big on short-term mission trips, at least it was before the pandemic. So consider joining that when the pandemic loosens up. So we see so far three of the RAC, right? Respond to God's call in your life to act on the truth. And then C is to continue to learn. And then this brings us to the fourth and last thing that Paul did that we can also do as well, following his example, is E, eagerly seek spiritual accountability. Because accountability to another is the only way really to safeguard against poor judgment, unconscious motivations, self-deception, you know, where we think something, but we're just deceiving ourselves. We need that accountability. We need those voices from those we trust in our lives to speak to us. And for some 17 years, we see Paul had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and then he decided to go to Jerusalem and meet privately with these leaders of the church there. Why? Well, because he wanted to make sure that it seemed like because of all this opposition that grew up, 
he wanted to make sure he, wasn't been, he hadn't been running this race in vain. He, wanted, he knew the church was interdependent because God was, the same spirit was in each of the children of God in the church. And if the leaders of the church in Jerusalem did not agree with Paul and his message, then the message would be severely hindered as he was always, already facing some opposition from those who called themselves believers, but they really weren't. But Paul also respected these leaders. And so he went there to see if they would give confirmation and also hold him accountable if he hadn't been doing well in that sense. So we know what the false believers were saying and claiming because later during the, what we call the Jerusalem Council that we read about in Acts 15, verse 5, the position is stated clearly there. It says the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So these believers, these false believers, were basically saying you need to be a Jew, as we looked at the first part of chapter 1 in Galatians, right? It, the gospel plus anything is not a gospel at all. And so that's what they were trying to do, is add this, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow the laws of Moses, and then you can be saved if you believe in Jesus. And that was not the truth. So Paul sought this affirmation from these leaders in Jerusalem, and Paul reported their response in our text in verses 7 through 9. Listen again. It says, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning the Jews, I mean the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And James and Cephas, which is just another name for Peter, and John, those esteemed pillars, gave me the, and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the, the Jews, the circumcised. See, Paul understood this interdependency of the church, and so he wanted to go and get this affirmation from these leaders, so therefore then the church can work together in preaching the gospel to the world. He sought accountability and confirmation. The deceased musician Steve Green, uh, he was big in the Christian music scene when I was a young adult before he was, his life was taken in a plane crash. This is what he said. I like this. He says, accountability to us is unnatural. Our tendency is to only let others know enough about us to give others a good impression. We are all recovering hypocrites. So these four principles we learn from the Apostle Paul. Just go through them again. Respond to God's call for your lives. Act on the truth. Continue to learn and eagerly seek spiritual accountability in the sense of how can we evaluate if we're running our life race in vain for the Lord Jesus. Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, told this story once about a goose who's flying and he got injured and so he like crashed landed into a barnyard and as he was recovering uh, he was with a bunch of chickens and so he ate with the chickens and he slept with the chickens and after a while he started to think of himself as a chicken and then one day this flight of geese flew over and you know as canadian geese do when if you've been around here for a little bit they honk right like honk honk honk, honk right and he heard that and something stirred in his breast and he started to flap his wings and he rose into the air a few feet and then he stopped and he went back into the mud of the barnyard and, and just stayed with the chickens. He had received the call for something greater but he settled for 
for less than what he actually was. See, when we settle less from what God has created for you and me as children of the living God, the king of the universe, then we are not ever going to realize the full potential that God has created you and me to realize in Christ Jesus. Are we running in vain? You know, as followers of the Lord Jesus, the race of life is exciting. But are we running it in vain? It really depends on who we're running it for, ourselves or for Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word again, and we just pray that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would always be pleasing to you and bringing you glory and honor because you are our rock and our fortress in whom we trust and put our trust. Lord, we ask that your spirit would reveal to us the ways in which we are running in vain and then help us, enable us to correct that and turn back to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.